Welcome to the Living Out Podcast. I'm your host, Darren Steele, and I help people explore possibility to live out the best of who they are. I share stories about social justice, LGBTQ issues, and personal growth as a path to evolution to create a more humane world. Now, I'm doing something new today. First time I'll be doing an interview, and I'm most grateful to have Raymond Rigoglioso on my show today, and he'll correct me on the pronunciation of that if I haven't said it wrong. It is a bit of a mouthful. But let me tell you quickly some background on Ray and and how we met, and then we'll get into it. So Ray's the founder and executive director of Gay Men of Wisdom and the author of Gay Men and the New Way Forward, published by Mond Press in 2015. Through his book, he synthesized the body of literature that explores gay men's nature and purpose and created a framework describing gay men's 14 distinct gifts. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've probably heard me mention Ray a couple of times, and I've spoken about forgiveness and how gay men imbue culture with beauty and creativity, two of the distinct gay male gifts. Now, earlier this year, and it's kind of ironic and serendipitous, I had downloaded, uh, you know, like a sample chapter on Kindle, and it was Ray's book, and I hadn't read it yet. And I was working towards what would become this podcast, the Living Out Podcast. I originally thought it was going to be a program and then maybe a paid Facebook group. And I was trying to figure out what it was I wanted to do, and I, I couldn't quite get there. And then I just happened to look in Kindle, and there was this book, and I read the introductory chapter, and I promptly ordered it from Amazon and read it cover to cover. And I thought, wow, I'm actually really onto something here because somebody's already done all this research. And so I reached out to Ray and then he asked me if I wanted to be on his list for when he would be launching in his next uh, Gay Men of Wisdom program, a 15-week program over five months that I'm actually a part of. And um, January sort of will wrap things up with the, the last three episodes. So with that introduction, I'd like to welcome Ray to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Darren. Oh, and, really, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So it's Rigoglioso. Rigoglioso. <laughs> Everyone struggles with it. Yes. Oh, I'll have to practice that. <laughs> it's okay. So you are in a bit of transition right now with a move. Where are you located at the moment? I live in Provincetown, Massachusetts, and my husband and I will be moving to just outside Hudson, New York. Great. And what's what's there? What made you cho- choose Hudson? It's a few reasons. There, There's a large gay presence. It's got a really cool, creative vibe with young people, older people, New Yorkers. It's like Brooklyn moved north. Wow. And... So it's also the areas outside of Hudson are a lot more affordable. And my husband and I wanted to purchase a a house and we're sharing a small apartment right now in Provincetown. Love it here. We want to make sure that we could actually have some space. (laughs) Right. Well, it sounds like it's going to be a very big difference between going from eh, one kind of gay Mecca to what you're describing, and I had no idea, is going to be maybe more of a, not so much wilderness, but a bit more in nature, outside of perhaps the uh, 
the cultural trappings of, of gay city life in the sense of bars and clubs and restaurants that could be run and, and populated by other gay men. Right. It's definitely in the country. But Hudson and the surrounding area, Columbia County has a lot of people who have second homes. They travel up from New York they um, or have relocated to, to the area. So there's while it's rural and bucolic in a lot of ways, it's got a certain sophistication. And I'm interested to see what what takes root uh, and how gay men of wisdom might uh, flourish in that area. Interesting. Well, before we get more deeply into your book and to your program, let's find out a little bit more about you and sort of the formation of identity that it's something I talk a lot about for my own personal experience in evolving and becoming a gay man and understanding who I am and my place, my gifts and how I express that in the world. So perhaps take us through, you know, maybe where you were born, but bring us up to some of the two or three experiences in in your adolescence or your upbringing that may have led you into this direction to the work you're doing. Sure. It's interesting. When I look back, I came out when I was 19 in 1989. I grew up Catholic in a very conservative Italian family. And I, when I came out, I discarded everything. And it, it, shortly after I came out, maybe about two or three months, I collaborated with a friend of mine, a lesbian, and we created a gay and lesbian, and uh, I don't even think we were talking about bisexuals back then, it was a gay and lesbian youth group in Danbury, Connecticut. And I found myself facilitating this group for a year. And it's it's interesting that when I look back at that time, I mean, I wanted to do something positive and focused with my anger because I was really mad. I was bullshit mad. And it was also the time when people were dying left and right of AIDS. And so there was a lot of energy and I wanted to channel that anger into something constructive. And I look back and I think, well, I'm still doing that. That's Game Out of Wisdom. That might have been the earlier take on it uh, without me even realizing where it might have might have gone. Um, so I, I lived in New York City for, uh, for for several years. I worked at Gay Men's Health Crisis, and that was really formative to my own identity. And it was also at that time of ACT UP and Queer Nation, which I was involved with. So it, it was a, a horrible time, and it was also an incredibly amazing time. So there was this this profusion of 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 creativity and anger at the same time, but we created a lot of change. So it was an exciting time to come out, even though I think of it kind of like being in a war. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned two um, great talking points here that one, when you came out, you discarded everything. And I want to come right back to that and anger and creativity. So maybe this discarding everything, what were the changes you made to start fresh and, and what were the things you discarded and what were the, um, what would is, what was it you were trying to replace or reform maybe might be the most apropos word. I think for me, 
coming out was coming out as a human being. Given the nature of my childhood, which was very abusive, it was it was a, a chance for me to say, I count, I matter, I have opinions, I have needs and wants and feelings, and they, they're important. And I discarded conservatism. I grew up in a very conservative household. I, I discarded the, the there's a, a, a lot of resentment and hatred that goes along with that, that I was, that I was raised in. And I, I said, no, that's not who I am. There, oh boy, God, how, how much, how much, <laughs> <laughs> we could have an entire therapy session around this, but it, it was, it was a time of just coming into my own and saying, mm. I have my own opinions and thoughts. I, after I came out, I, I later came out to my parents as liberal and that was almost more scary than coming out. Wow. You know, that may, you know, you're in the States, I'm in Canada. And I think that kind of a political statement carries far more weight um, in the sense of one's identity and association with politics than it does in, in Canada. There wouldn't be such an affront <laughs> to someone right. pro- pro- proclaiming they might be like, well, I'm kind of disappointed that you've decided to become liberal or conservative, but it's not, it's not the same thing, at least in Canada. But you, the way you frame it is really interesting without going too much into my own story. I think I weakly came out at 18 and 19 and wasn't so assertive of, about my identity. And perhaps that's just the interesting thing about how we take um, a different approach. But it seems like literally you, you came to an edge, you came out with a bang and went, bam, this is, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. Yes. Within a, within a month, I came out to everyone. And I wore act up shirts around the house, around my parents' house. Well, perhaps so that we don't have to do the therapy session. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to hear more about this connection between the anger and the creativity. And and how that maybe informed a lot of your work going forward. Sure. It, I, I've always tried to, I, I, anger is an energy, and isn't there a song? Was it who 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 uh, who wrote that song? Oh, it's that's in my head song? now, but I don't know. Right, uh, it's going to come to me. Right, but it is an energy, and you can use it for positive or negative ends. And I think if you, it, it can it can turn inward, it can turn outward, it can consume you. But if you channel it correctly, it can actually produce. A lot of good and that's how I've always tried to use my creativity it's it's so so for me I I was angry at the injustice of having had to hide I was angry at the all of the messages from my uh, my family the my family sent my church the on and on the community and I said I want to do something about this I want to change this so I tur- I channeled the anger into something into something positive. I, I wouldn't say that gay men of wisdom is a, is an expression of anger for me. It's a, it comes from a completely different source, but at this time in our politics, it doing it actually does take on a, a political ramifications because in the United States, everything has become politicized. Well, it's a, a point I've, I've noted for myself to chat when we get into uh, the group is the challenge that, I've had is my own defensiveness within the group, which are just 
um, as we talk about certain topics of our, our history, our upbringing, that it brings up these memories, it triggers these feelings that may be long dormant and forgotten and are sometimes called gay shame. And framing your group in this, in this positive light, in this creative light, is, is actually unusual, in a, I, I think, compared to other things that I've seen or read, where maybe they're harnessing more energy and it's more combative, but this is one of the gifts. Actually, maybe we could make a little segue into, into this mm-hmm. in a moment, but which, which gift is that, that I forget, um, where we are able to better step back as, as, as gay men, as some of us, and not be so immediately mob think and attacking, but to observe. Sure. The, if you look at the gift of teachers of compassion, generosity, and the authentic masculine, it Mm -hmm. refers to how we responded to the AIDS epidemic. Mm -hmm. And I want to put this in context. We weren't the only ones who responded to the epidemic. Lesbians were right there by our sides. They were allies. They were caregivers. And I always believe that lesbians deserve credit for, for marching with us and taking care of us and et cetera. This gift focuses, because it's focused on gay men and our own gifts, that's why we look at it just from that lens. But that time gives us an indication of who we are, that we we took to the streets and we channeled our energy into positive action. And that was really masculine. When you look at the how we characterize different personality traits, we took action, we were bold, we were courageous, we took risks. Act up, shut down the, the stock exchange. People did die-ins in the streets. Um, Act up worked inside and outside the system. The entire movement changed the FDA's approval process for drugs, which is why we have the anti-retrovirals. So we also changed hearts and minds. Gay men and our allies created entire systems of care. When I worked at Gay Men's Health Crisis, it was a model for all of these other nonprofits. They all came to GMHC for for uh, information and uh, technical assistance about how to replicate the programs. So there was there's a lot of of masculine energy that we channeled without violence. And what is interesting is that no one's surprised that we didn't do any IRA style bombings. We didn't shoot people up. And, and yet we never really reflect on this. And I, I think it, it's, it's worth considering because it tells us about who we are. Well, two points there that I want to have you flesh out further. Um, perhaps let's, uh, I think they're both connected. Um, the masculine and the feminine energies and the fact that as an organized group, um, let's say maybe primarily of gay men, and other groups, lesbians, um, transgender, working in the United States and, and around the world, but primarily that's where ACT UP was, was situated and, and doing most of its work, that there was no violence in the extreme that we have witnessed in nearly any other kind of um, protest. And that speaks to this teeter-totter balance, this understanding of the masculine and the feminine energies, and and perhaps at least my experience in the first 
couple of uh, sessions in the group with you were some of the challenges we were facing in the discussing discussing in the acceptance of how gay men embrace the masculine and the feminine. I'd love you to sort of connect and expand more on sort of that introductory part of your work and your your research. Sure. When we look at masculine feminine, we can think of it on three different scales where we tend to think of, are you masculine? Are you feminine? Is it, it's one thing. It's actually more like three things. There are personality traits, which are things that any human being can express. And we, as, as a culture tend to identify certain traits as masculine and certain traits as feminine. So being bold, courageous, decisive, and a leader, those are generally considered masculine traits. Being collaborative, cooperative, sensitive, empathetic, understanding, uh, nurturing, etc., those tend to be considered feminine. And we can look at we can look at at these traits historically, we can look at them cross-culturally, the, the the traits that I draw from have actually been based on research done by John Gruzima in his book called The Athena Doctrine, where he did he interviewed thousands of people in 13 different countries and asked them to identify this list of traits as either masculine, feminine or neither. So I, I've actually taken his research and identified it's like these are cross-culturally determined masculine feminine personality traits. So that's one level that I invite men in the groups to explore which of these traits do you express and to what extent. And so we look at sort of this balance of masculine and feminine. Then we go to the the second level, which is external traits. And these are, are those visual and auditory clues that tell you if someone is masculine or feminine. And we know we pick up on them immediately. There's a really interesting movie called Do I Sound Gay? And it's all about gay voice. And it's a complete exploration of why do some gay men sound gay? So we know that there are these these shortcuts. Our body movements, our postures, if someone presents as more feminine, you know it immediately. So these are the kinds of things like the, the, the tonality of our voice, how we sound, et cetera, how we look, how we carry ourselves, what we wear, et cetera. And then the third level, which is more basic, it's difficult to describe, but it's energy. Our, what is, how would we describe our energy? And we have language for it like an alpha man. An alpha guy will express decisiveness differently than a guy who is a little bit more balanced in, in terms of balancing masculine and feminine or who maybe who has a more feminine energy. The energy that we possess determines how we express personality traits. So it's actually a very complex interplay of of, of different levels. So I, I developed something called a three-dimensional masculine-feminine model based on these three levels of masculine-feminine. That's something, even though I've, I've read the book three times now and, and we've gone through this um, in, the, in the program together with the group, I'm just reflecting on, you know, past observations as a gay man, maybe being out at a club or being in pride and, you know, in a large group of people and then just noticing people's energy. So the way you framed it with the three levels, the personality traits, the external traits and the energy that that harder to explain. And that's where I think we would potentially associate 
the, the phrase gaydar, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, because there and, and and sometimes it's not right. <laughs> mm-hmm. just, just because you're gay doesn't mean that you're looking at somebody else and say, "Oh, that guy is so gay." Um, they just might be a straight man who happens to be more in tune with the culturally perceived feminine traits, and he is just more comfortable expressing those. But he is energetically entirely self assured. Um, with those traits and has no issues exhibiting them. Absolutely. It, it's funny because I my my husband was Mr. New England Leather 2018. Yeah. And as part of his tour, we we marched in Burlington Pride in Vermont. And I found myself really confused. I thought, who's gay and who's straight here? I cannot distinguish. It, it, it was my first time visiting Burlington. It was hilarious to me because I thought I can't distinguish between gay men and straight men here, the, 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 between gay men and our allies. So there are there are and especially among younger men, you see this greater comfort with a wider expression of 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 manhood. And it's mm-hmm. also one of the things that I believe gay men have had an influence on because we've had generations of openly gay men modeling this other form of manhood. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting observation. I think something that was a question um, kind of unanswered, but maybe there isn't a direct answer. And maybe what you've said here is, is, is really the, the, the summary of call it the challenge is I'm 53, so looking at the world now, looking at several generations younger than me, and there's, it's not like there's a cutoff point, but there is a 20s generation, and with this greater embracing of androgyny and with greater awareness of people who are trans or are exploring their gender identity and expression... Mm-hmm. This is certainly showing up much more. And it's, it's not to say um, that we sort of paved the path, but there has certainly been a direction forward with how the various groups that comprise LGBT have come together and, and helped with this expression. But at the same time, on the extreme end, I know there are a lot of gay men that get very defensive and they're like, well, why is this person this way? I don't understand. Right. And and there's always the complaint around every pride parade. Why do we have to be so flamboyant? Why can't we just be like everyone else? Hmm. And we have and this is this is one of the things that we have variation among our own group. Mm-hmm. As gay men, as LGBT people, there's uh, obviously a lot of variation. I focus solely on gay men, so that's mm-hmm. where I can find my my comments. But you have gay men of of who who have a, maybe present more masculine. You have gay men who present more feminine. You have gay men who are in between. We give ourselves permission to express ourselves fully. That is part of the gift and the joy of being out. So. You do see that struggle with the masculine and the feminine in around pride parades when when you hear disparaging remarks and uh, about uh, gay men who are more effeminate, femphobia. It's mm. it's rampant. So 
we we may we're at this point in our culture where there's def, there's more permission than ever to express oneself fully to be more androgynous if that's if that's who you are to express masculine and feminine gender expression right um, and at the same time this pushback this and as you talked about it earlier shame shame yeah. over the feminine it's probably one of our greatest challenges and i just thought in this moment that in something like a pride parade and the people who and, and those people who might be momentarily uncomfortable why are you flaunting it why do you have to be so gay why do you have to be so feminine why do you have to dress like that why do you have to be naked why do you have to wear leather why 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 in part it's the exposure it's the one of very few moments in the year where we can come together as a collective under the umbrella initials lgbtq and say we're here and while there might be one level, I think, of the individual who wants that freedom to self-express, it's confronting when you're given that freedom, even if only for a day. And it brings up all those self-defenses that have been holding you back and keeping you confined to the status quo. Or it's like having that little tiny creature on your shoulder that's like, yeah, don't be too gay. You're walking into a, a situation with people who might not be very friendly towards you. And there's always that little voice in your head. And, you know, just to, to wrap up this comment, I'm always in awe of gay men who are extremely flamboyant and embrace the feminine and own it. And, I would say that that's part of a shame that I have, that I, I feel I can't do that. But I recognize and honor that in the gay men that do, because in, in some ways they are leaders in being able to express that level of the external trait and say, fuck you, <laughs> this is who I am. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what I'd like to do now, Ray, if I can, is sort of, sort of bridge us into more specifically in, in, into how you came upon the idea or started on the path towards uh, the publishing of your book, Gay Men of the New Way Forward and the New Way Forward, and then how that led into your program, Gay Men of Wisdom. So was there a moment or something that was happening if you were doing research at, at university or college some skill or something that happened that that started you down this path it's always a question i ask myself mm -hmm. i i met mark thompson in palm springs in 2015 he came to my book reading and workshop and mark thompson is the author of the editor for gay soul gay body gay spirit this was these were really influential books in this genre of gay men's nature and purpose. And I was thrilled, I was honored that he came. And he took me out to dinner afterwards and grilled me. He started asking me, who are you? Why are you doing this? Why are you you're like, what brought you to this? And I was like, how do I answer those questions? And I still feel that way to a certain extent, because mm -hmm. there's, I was simply curious. Mm -hmm. I as I mentioned earlier, I facilitated a gay and lesbian youth group when I was 19. So I probably have some proclivity to creating groups. Mm -hmm. And I, I love leading groups. I have training as a coach. I was active in the, um, I had a, a coaching practice at the time. 
I so I do have some I have training in terms of how to listen and ask powerful questions. I took group coaching training, etc. So I think I've I had some interest in acumen in the in in the skills that this requires, but more than anything, it was an inspiration that I actually had in Provincetown. I was in I, I attended uh, Snowbound Leather Weekend in February 2012. I have to think back now because it's been a while. And I had the experience that I the first experience that I would call gay tribe, where I felt like there was something in that weekend, something happening that was both present, current, and ancient, and something really deep and also light and fun at the same time. There was there was an energy to the connections that I experienced in that weekend. And I met a friend who introduced me to a book by Will Fellows entitled A Passion to Preserve Gay Men as Keepers of Culture. And one of the premises of the book is that you can tell, you can discern the traits of a gay boy well before puberty, and that we play different social roles, that we actually have functions in society. And it electrified me. So I read the book. I actually wound up, my friend wound up introducing me to Will Fellows, and Will has become a friend of mine, and he became one of my editors when I eventually wrote the book. And what's interesting, though, is that I didn't start it with the book. I actually started it with a program in mind because I expected this would become part of my coaching practice because I was an act, I was a coach. I was creating workshops. I was, And at the same time, right at that moment, I was planning to attend the first conference for the Gay Coaches Alliance at Easton Mountain. Mm-hmm. And it was there that I got the idea Gay Men of Wisdom. Actually, it was shortly shortly beforehand. The words "Gay Men of Wisdom" came to me in the shower, and while I was at the conference, I, I it, it clicked. I said, "I can create workshops that can help gay men recognize their how they benefit the people around them." I'll call these workshops "Gay Men of Wisdom," and I'll start creating I'll start creating programs. And so, in between sessions, mm-hmm. I bought the the domain name as a um, as a as an affirmation. Mm-hmm. That's how I got started. So did you ex I guess two questions. I'm wondering who your early clients were. Were they a broad spectrum? Were they primarily gay men? And did you uh start moving into any kind of group training before you started the book? Well, my my clientele were were everyone. I was a generalist. I didn't I didn't specialize. And I did take group coaching training prior to writing the book and, and getting involved in this. So I've always, I've always enjoyed groups. I actually ran a coaching group for development directors in the nonprofit sector in New York City. I created a group. So I, I love running groups. And what was the, what was the gay coaching uh, group name again? The Gay Coaches Alliance. And what was that experience like for you as a gay man and then moving and I, these two connections I think could be important a as a gay man and and working as a coach but then having this epiphany having this inspiration in the shower like we, we so many of us have this in water <laughs> um, yes. where we, we get this kind of clarity but making those two connections what was that entire weekend experience like for you it was amazing. And I, 
I do count the Gay Coaches Alliance and Easton Mountain as hugely influential in my framing of it really helping set the context for for this work because Easton is a really special place and it's a place that automatically creates that sense of tribe. So it was a very affirming, positive, uplifting weekend. And there we we formed some pretty close connections and I'm still friends with many people I've met in the Gay Coaches Alliance. It's a, it's a wonderful organization. Easton Mountain is the host uh, for the for the alliance and the conference, and that the context of that place where I I like to say that love is spoken there. Mm-hmm. That the moment you walk onto the land at Easton Mountain, something changes. Like people talk to each other, they're friendly. It's the kind of community that you hope might we as as gay people might create. So the experiences I had at Easton deeply influenced what sort of the shape and the tenor and the texture of gay men of wisdom. They didn't really give me the content. I found that from the literature, mm-hmm. but, but I also tested my workshops at Easton. I, I, I ran my first programs at Easton mountain. Well, you mentioned something a couple of times tribe and in, in language right now, there are, are some who are not fond of the word, um, because it's associated with like tribal mentality in the, in the negative sense of the spectrum. But on the positive side, when you say gay tribe, and you were talking about um, um, where you were at this event, it was a leather event and it felt sort of primal, felt ancient, but it was also fun and it was playful and it was a connection of men. And even at the, uh, the coaching Alliance that, what might be interesting to hear you expand upon is this tribal connection with men going back to, I guess, level three, the energy of the masculine and the feminine, how different and unique that kind of a male bonding experience is versus a group of straight men. It's a really interesting question. When I think about, I mean, gay men have just such a different energy, and it's how we know someone else is gay, as you mentioned earlier, gaydar. We we pick up on it. We have all of these clues, but we haven't developed the language to describe the clues, which is what I've tried to do with Gay Men of Wisdom. When I, I like to think that, and I've experienced this many times, that magic happens when gay men gather with intention and purpose when we remain open to each other, to seeing who we truly are, mm. we feel and step into that connection that defies language. It's Tribe is the only term that I've found that comes close to it. We know in a way that we've come home. We mm. recognize that interplay of energies and those differences. We know that we are among our own when we gather. Now, I, I, I actually write about this in the third section of the book, that we can invoke tribe. It actually isn't very difficult, but we do need to consciously shed a lot of those defenses. Like you're not going necess- to you're not always going to find it in a bar. It was amazing that I found it at the vault in, in Provincetown. It's very it's very rare. OK, but when you when you go to something like Easton Mountain or perhaps even Body Electric, um, where where 
where gay men gather in sort of an ecstatic communion mm. or even simply just in a in a loving setting where where we speak the language of love to each other it we we it feeds us so that's that experience is something that i hope to bring into many communities through gay men of wisdom two words you used ecstatic communion and one of the gifts you talk about in the book write about in the book is is spirituality and how so many gay men and i think specifically in the catholic church <laughs> there are a lot of gay priests yes. and uh the radical fairy movement which has a deeply naturalist spiritual um approach to the earth uh, perhaps inspired by more feminine mythology uh, like Gaia. But, and as you said, you can't find this stuff in a gay bar, but sort of going along that spectrum to the middle point, I don't know enough about the leather community, but I know a lot of people that are involved feel a greater connection to their tribe in their leather communities. And then now what you're describing, this ecstatic communion that not a lot of us, I think, as gay men have had the opportunity to experience, which would embody our understanding if we don't even have the language, as you said, of what it is like to be a gay man amongst other gay men experiencing what it is to be gay. Yes. It's, it's why it's so important to gather among our own. I work solely with cisgender gay men because there's something specific about this experience. There's something different about who we are. And we can meet gay men of every culture and recognize these traits. I've had gay men from all over the world attend my programs who, who tell me this is this completely speaks to us. Mm. So there's a continuity, there's a consistency, both currently when we look globally and also historically, that these traits show up in generation after generation. So when I use the word tribe, there's something about our group. The, there's a type of energy that we channel. And what I do with Gay Men of Wisdom is to describe all the different ways that we channel this different energy so that we can see it. Because it's one thing to know it in the abstract, but it's another to understand how you channel that energy and what difference it makes in your life and the lives of others around you. Wow. I kind of got shivers, chills a little bit there, because that just reminded me of like the most profound experience I've had thus far in, in the group with you was when we came to the gift of, you know, um, if I'm phrasing it correctly, can gay men forgive homophobia and that set me off on the first podcast specific to the gay male gifts and and going more deeply into forgiveness and it was really a release for me to understand that at least for me forgiveness starts with forgiving myself for all the transgressions I made against myself growing up. And it wasn't my fault. It was being stuck in a status quo, in a mold that I didn't know how to understand or, or criticize. And until I finally came out, and it took years later for me, going back to what you said at the beginning, you rejected 
everything. It took me a long time to reject. And I think that length of time for me is what harbored a lot of defensiveness and and upset and shame. And realizing that and learning that through your program was like, huge release for me. And I, I, I feel like I've shifted on an emotional level since then. It's amazing to me, especially because I have wondered about this gift. I, I, I introduced this as a concept because I noticed that gay men tend to forgive their parents and their family members for kind of horrible homophobia that they experienced. And we never talk about it. We just do it. We don't think much about it. And not all gay men do this. And we don't forgive everyone for every transgression. But it's rather amazing that we don't main not all of us maintain this seething anger against the people who oppressed us so that really is a gift so my whole question was do we model for forgiveness for others because we have this experience with homophobia and if i could write the book again i think i would incorporate i think this was your idea darren that we model we're really good at forgiveness because we had to forgive ourselves first yeah well, you just made an, I made a connection based on what you've been talking about here so far is that during, during the AIDS crisis and all of the creativity connected with anger to make a statement and to protest that, you know, there were no bombings there, there were no killings of other people as an expression of the anger. And is this perhaps connected with this capacity to forgive as gay men? It's a great question. It's it's fascinating. I've I've not even considered it. It yeah. might be. I, what's interesting is that we didn't we didn't create we didn't bomb we didn't burn cities down we didn't kill people we created art. And when you look at the art of ACT UP, the uh, Grand Fury, the art collective, mm-hmm. when you look at the street theater of ACT UP. When you look at the profusion of of gay men's choruses, many of which were formed in response to or as a result of the AIDS crisis, I mean, these it speaks to who we are, mm-hmm. our essence. When we look at these larger, when we're when our backs were against the wall, we weren't violent. We were productive. Such an interesting observation, and not having been there, I have to hear the stories from from someone like you. And 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 really, I, I always think of Keith Haring and you know the short life that he had and the productivity, like you said, the creative productivity that he had. And I some I wish I had the exact quote, but somebody asked him something. I guess as his health was failing, and it was like art. He said something like, "Art is what is giving me life," and I like I need to keep doing this. I need to keep expressing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of this has been spoken about like indirectly in, in things that you've said or questions that I've asked, but how would you describe the mission of, of what it is you're doing, whether it's your book and the program or, or your personal mission and, and purpose statement with all of this work? There's an official mission statement on okay. the website, gaymenofwisdom.org. There's mission and vision. I'll describe it in my own terms. I don't have it in front of me, and I'm I'm terrible with remembering things like this. This uh, my mission, my personal mission is to help gay men recognize their magnificence. Hmm. We do something different, and part of that is 
part of my mission is to change the way we see differences, to change the conversation about differences, actually to create a conversation about differences because our movement has de-emphasized differences. And, and it comes into conflict, as we talked about in LGBT marches, where we have flamboyance and we have leather and we have dykes on bikes and we have all this all these real these wonderful beautiful differences and then we have these this clash well why can't we just be like everyone else let's be like the the button-down conservatives and it's like well some of us are conservative but there's also this essence of who we are that really is different and that's what i'm talking about so there's a my personal mission is to change the conversation about differences to recognize that differences are gifts. Mm-hmm. And I, this doesn't just apply to gay men. What I hope to create is a thing, is a way of experiencing and expressing differences for all of humanity. That if we as gay men get good at this, if we develop a way to value our differences – then we can give this away to humanity so all human beings can can learn can recognize how there's a process for how to value human difference because if we can really value human difference we can get along and live on the planet so that's the bigger picture for gay men of wisdom is to is to introduce a conversation to humanity about how to value human difference and that's it's beautifully important the way you've you've phrased it. It is one of the the gifts you talk about that gay men imbue uh, culture with beauty um, and creativity. And one of the things you talk about um, towards the end of that chapter, I believe, is um, the more severe, for example, an ideology or um, a religious organization, particularly let's say evangelicals they are looking to suppress creativity because in creativity is openness to questioning and uniqueness and difference and conversation. And by bringing, bringing forward these conversations, our magnificence, our conversations about our difference to say, let's not value the status quo. Let's value uniqueness. That's a very different kind of world to live in. Absolutely. Because we live in a world of so much difference, and yet we have dominant cultures that attempt to suppress differences and attempt to establish a normative for whatever that culture is. This is the these are the these are the ways one should act if one is 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 to rise to the top of our culture. Mm-hmm. These are the accepted ways of being, and all of these other ways are down below. So we have a hierarchy of difference. That's how we view difference right now mm-hmm. as as a, as a human family. We view difference on a, on a hierarchical scale. Uh, my, my effort with Game of Wisdom is actually to flip that on its head, to look at it circular, in a circular, that everyone occupies a place in the circle, and that the circle is a whole because of all of those different ways of contributing. And it's a Native mm. idea. Native, America, Native, uh, Native Americans had that concept. Right. So that there's no left or right. There's no binary. It's simply more of a, a queer theoretical model, like a bunch of gray tones and, and nothing ends up on, on one end of the spectrum. It's either constantly evolving or three-dimensional. Yeah. And, and yeah. for the human family too, <clears throat> that we all contribute something different. So if we can, rec- if we can replicate this 
model for other minority groups. So mm. how do what gifts do African-Americans give to mm. United States culture, for instance? Mm. I mean, we can we can document a lot of them. There's actually a really interesting book on that. Um, and I the name of which completely escapes me at the moment. Um, well, if you happen to remember it, just uh, send me a message and I'll include it in the show notes. Great. Great. So, I mean, but if we can look at how minority groups contribute to the rich, the, the cultural diversity, I mean, we have this language sort of in our political discourse. Mm-hmm. And when we have parades and the Puerto Rican Day Parade in New York, for instance, or we have these celebrations of culture, but they take place in these little boxes. That's fine to put the box over here. But what about how this enriches us as a human family on a day to day basis? So that's what I'm that's that's the bigger picture is to introduce a way, a process, a model for how to value difference. Well, let me ask you a few more sort of general questions as we uh, come towards the end here. What might be the biggest learning lesson or you know the most important moment in in the work having since published uh, your book and your program? What's something that's really stood out from you? Surprisingly, how many buttons this work can push. Mm-hmm. I can attest to that. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a real eye-opener. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect that. I, I fully expected that because I am taking a, an approach of valuing and at, like looking at looking at difference as an asset that we would that that gay men who come to the work would step in through that lens but what i didn't recognize or know i, I can't know what other people are going to experience from something i create i didn't i so to me it's it's actually it, it tells me that the work is really on target because mm-hmm. it's actually gonna it's getting at the essence of the challenge um i expected the experience to be easier and more joyful for most people. And it, and it generally is like once, once there's a, once the aha moment hits, it all clicks. And I think for you, the aha moment was the forgiveness, the models of forgiveness. And, and for each person, for each guy in the group, it often comes at a different point. Like some one, one gift is really going to speak to you. Mm-hmm. Maybe sexual leadership or sustainable manhood, for instance, mm-hmm. um, might be the the eye opener. But then it all then it suddenly makes sense and like, oh my god, I recognize my own power. Yes, it, I get it. Um, so I think for me, recognizing that the role of 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 just just how much how much this this can trigger shame, which is actually surprising to me, but it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think many gay men may have had some form of experience with, you know, counseling or a psychiatrist or have been um, part of some form of group. And often in discussion is something uncomfortable. Or if it's a group, maybe there's argument and discord. Or if it's psychological, it's the shadow side. And looking into that sort of darkness to try and find the light. Whereas your approach is, yeah, we're not going there. <laughs> we're not no. going to ignore it, but we're going to to start from, as you said, recognizing our magnificence and having these conversations, these positive, empowering, evolving conversations about our difference. 
Yes. And that is the, I mean, the, the, the way we enter this, this exploration is through assets, is through gifts. We're looking at what's right with gay men, not what's wrong with them. Like, I mean, there's, I look at Alan Down's book, The Velvet Rage. Mm-hmm. It looks at all of the internalized shame and anger and everything that holds us back. And when I look at some of what, what he shares, I mean, both, both sides exist. So the, when I, but if we focus on on the on the act on the assets, the shame, then the shadow might come up as well. Right. Let me bring this, I think, sort of to to a wrap. We've covered a lot of ground, and what I what I've really enjoyed about having been through this process and still a few more sessions to go to to wrap up the Gay Men of Wisdom program is the openness of exploration and instead of it being, and and maybe this will help lead you into describing more about how the the group functions. And if you want to tell us more about the next group as it's coming up, but that, you know, there are nine or 10 of us and that it is a a safe space where we each get to, um, you know, through your guidance, we're, we're, we're looking at reflecting upon one of the gifts, and then we're looking at per- perhaps a particular quality or aspect of that gift. And this learning experience is, is more expansive because it's just not me and you having a conversation like in a coaching situation. It is about the group dynamic and learning about, as, as you've said elsewhere in this conversation, our uniqueness across the board, even as gay men. So tell us more about that and how the the, the group functions. Sure, it, it's the, the point of the group is to hold up a mirror for each guy who attends the group to to recognize the extent to which each gift applies to him and to and to the extent to which he expresses that gift. But also the mirror, as you mentioned, is turned to the to everyone else in the group as well. We're reflecting each other. And it's why this group, this work really does need to happen in groups. It best takes place when we can reflect back for each other, when there's an interchange. And everyone reads the chapter prior to the group and completes a, a self-assessment for that, for that gift and comes prepared to discuss it. And I've created what I believe is an original methodology to help explore the extent to which these gifts apply to each man. So it's it's a very deeply personal exploration. We're not talking in the abstract about how do these concepts apply to gay men. By the time you get to the group, you're ready to talk about how does this apply to me and what difference does it make in my life and to the people around me. Mm-hmm. And and when the safe container is absolutely essential. And so we can really give each other that gift of gay tribe really listening to each other, holding the space, approaching each other with love, respecting differences. There are some ground rules for creating tribe. It's not that difficult to, to do, but it, you can generally invoke it with a, with a few good working agreements. And the learning happens through that interchange. So we can reflect upon each each other and we can see, we can see those themes and the ways that we really are different. And it's better than just a one-on-one conversation. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, having read the book and then and then read it cover to cover again before the program started and then each chapter again, 
um, the the transformative nature. You know, that's a very much a coaching word, right? But you know, it 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 really is because some of the after some of the calls, I was early on upset and and not at the people who were talking and not at you but just at things that came up for me and i'm willing to embrace those things because that's that's my approach in life is i want to learn about who i am and then you know as part of this podcast how to live out the best of who i am and help others do the same so this this dynamic has been entirely unique and, you know, really grateful to have, have found it and to have been able to take part in it. And you're, we're coming up to a wrap in, in this uh, iteration of the program, but can you tell listeners about when it's starting again and how it unfolds and how they can find out more about you? Absolutely. The next Living Out Your Gifts group will run Wednesdays for 16 session beginning February 6th. Uh, from 8 to 9.30 Eastern Time, 5 to 6.30 Pacific. So we meet for three sessions, and then we take a week off when everyone connects with a buddy. And so we'll meet from February to June. You can find more information about the group at gaymenofwisdom.org. Just click on the Programs tab. Feel free to reach out to me, Ray, at gaymenofwisdom.org. My telephone number is on the website as well. And that's a really good way to start to get more information. And just to add, um, having these buddy calls, getting a chance to know some of the people from the group has been very productive for me as well, right down to uh, someone from the group now contributing to my publication on Medium, Think Queerly. And, and just this chance to engage with people's stories has been has been really interesting to me. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things that I hope to create with Gay Men of Wisdom, that the men, that you guys become resources for each other. And we have a larger mission. Living Out Your Gifts is just one of multiple programs that we do. Mm -hmm. the, what I hope to create is this a, a movement of gay men who work with and support each other, who support each other in living out and expressing your gifts and our mm -hmm. gifts. Mm -hmm. And that's a nice little segue into, I, I was coming up with the naming of what I thought was going to be my group and became the podcast living out. And I had seen it then as I subsequently read your materials and I was like, Oh, am I going to be stepping on his toes if I use this languaging? Um, and it's, it's just perfect um, because that's, who I feel we need to be is to live out the best of who we are, whether, whether it's straight or gay. But I love this metaphor you used of holding up the mirror um, to reflect back our gifts and to each other. So I have two more questions for you to, to bring this to a wrap. And this is the put you on the, the hot seat one, but like a crazy but true fact about you so that the, our readers can just get to know something that you might not have told someone else before. Yeah, that always throws me a little bit. I had to think about that. Crazy but true fact about me. I am in the process of moving to New York, and it'll be the third time in my life that I have moved to New York. And I just think I might as well admit it that I I must be a New Yorker. And and 
it's this I'm also dragging my second partner <laughs> to New York. I I met two partners in Provincetown, so it's been a really good place for me. And I'm I've dragged both of them to New York. So what do you know? Well, you know, May twenty nineteen be <laughs> an exceptional year, and I, I really do hope that Hudson is a perfect place for the two of you to settle. Thank you. And to give you the last word, and unfortunately, there's now a lot of noise in the background for those of you listening um, outside of my window. If there's one piece of advice that you could impart on the audience to whether that be a gay man or a straight person listening with respect to what you've talked about or something that you want to impart, what would it be? Differences are gifts. Embrace them, recognize them, celebrate them, own them, honor them, acknowledge them, flaunt them. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Ray. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, speak with me on the call today. I've learned even a lot more um, having had this opportunity to speak with you. Well, thanks for having me, Darren. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Ray. And as always, for those of you listening, I really appreciate your time. This has been a longer than normal podcast, but I hope you found value in what Ray has had to share. And I will leave all of the show notes and links so that you can find out more about Ray, where to get his book, and if you're interested in attending the program. As always, thanks for listening. Live out and live proud.